Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 5 of Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read beginning in verse 3 of Genesis 4. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Jehovah said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And I'll stop reading there. Now, um, we've already noticed and pointed out that in verse 3, where it says in the King James Bible, and in process of time it came to pass, that literally that should read, and in the end of days, or at the end of days, it came to pass. And we spent some time discussing how in God's plan, in his scheme of things, the Lord intended at the time of the end of the world, beginning in 1988, which was the 13,000th year of earth's history, that the Lord intended to make a separation between the saved and the unsaved, between the righteous and those that professed to be his people, yet were not righteous because they weren't saved. And God also brought about um, the end of the church age, and he commanded his people to come out of the churches at that time. And so he separated the wheat from the tares. And we have covered that pretty well over the last couple of studies. But there's something else also that the Lord brought to light at the time of the end of the world. And it, it is interesting when we look back to the time of the Great Tribulation period that one of the main truths, the important truths that God opened up, and, and this was one that he opened up fairly early on within that Great Tribulation period, was a truth that involved God's salvation program. It had to do with how God saved. Um, God had long let it be known that he saved his elect, and of course people fought against that uh, down through the centuries of the church age. But, But at the time of the end, 
and again in 1988, um, the Great Tribulation began, and it was then that the Bible was unsealed, and and God began to reveal very important truths that had been concealed and hidden until that time. And one of the earliest ones that came to light was the information that we are saved by the faith of Christ and not by our own faith. That is, that God saved his elect people, the ones that were truly saved through the work and faith of Jesus Christ and not through the work or faith of the individual believer, the the individual Christian or child of God. And today, since that has been stressed and emphasized and re-emphasized for many years now, we, the people of God, understand that. And, And yet, many of us can remember back before this information came to light in the 90s that it was very controversial. It was a very mysterious subject, exactly how God saved the believers in the church during the church age, recognized it was by grace and and so forth, but they also allowed an element of um, God saves by grace, but he also requires belief. And the, the seminaries and, and the churches as a result taught that these are the reformed churches and the reformed seminaries taught that we're saved by grace, but there's an offer, a legitimate offer by God and the person has to respond. He has to exercise belief and, and then after he does that, he recognizes it's all by grace. Um, there was a saying that says, you, well, how that go? You teach Calvinism, but you preach Arminianism. Calvinism is all of God by, by election, and Arminianism is free will. And th- this was a common understanding and practice in the Reformed churches. No wonder people were so confused when it came to understanding salvation. How are we saved? What's man's role? What's our part? What, what do we contribute? And, and really it, again, they would say it's all of God, all by grace, but then they would either imply or directly state that you have to believe. You have to believe. And yet, during the time of the early period of the Great Tribulation, after God opened up the scriptures, we saw, and and this verse came to light again, at that time, early on, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, 
that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So there God very plainly says we're justified by the faith of, belonging to, is what of means, belonging to Christ, to Jesus Christ. It's his faith. And and we saw that, and also, uh, I, I remember when Mr. Camping did a study on the word faith, and he showed in a few places where the word faith is called a work. One verse where it says that is in First Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. Work of faith. And that combined with Galatians 2.16, we're not justified by works, but by the faith of Christ, strongly uh, reinforced this truth that was coming to light, that that a man cannot be saved by his own faith, because any act of faith is a work. God commands, as a matter of fact, and he tells us this in First John, this is his commandment that ye believe. Therefore, if I say, uh, as so many would, would have me say, uh, because they refer to the statement, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and then if I, in response, say, I believe, well, this is his commandment that ye believe. So my belief is an obedient act to the commandment to believe. And whenever someone performs an obedient act to a commandment, what is that called? A work of the law. A work of the law. God commanded Abraham, go take your son, sacrifice your son. That's a work. Or whatever God commands. Any response of obedience or attempted obedience is a work or an attempted work. And therefore, since man is not justified by the works of the law, there's no way that I or any other person could be justified by our own faith or act of believing. Oh, that's why God says we're not justified by works, but by the faith of Christ. That's why God says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Let me read that because... It, it actually is explained there, isn't it? In Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if it was of ourselves, it would be a work we could boast or glory. But the faith that saves us is not of ourselves. And, and it rather it's the gift of God. 
Jesus is the gift of God. It's the faith of Christ. And as a result, because it's his faith, not our own, it's not our work, and we we cannot glory or boast in anything we do. And, and see, this is the really wonderful truth that God brought to the surface, that he opened up to the eyes and understanding of his people at the appropriate time, the time of the end. As it says in our verse in Genesis, in the end of the days, two men, brothers, brought two offerings. Cain brought his offering of the ground, Abel brought his offering of the firstlings of his flocks. God had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but did not have respect unto Cain and to his offering. And and you see, at the time of the end, God finally makes it clear. He makes it known to all. What is the acceptable sacrifice and what is not acceptable? And what is acceptable is the work and faith of Jesus Christ. And what is not acceptable is the work and faith of man. And, you know, that, that truth, that uh, rightly declared doctrine, really is a very grievous thing, a very horrible thing to a church world of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, many of whom profess they're a Christian, believe they're a Christian, because they have been told, and and they have been taught, that here's how you become a Christian. Here's how you become a child of God. Here is how you become saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Accept the Lord. In church after church after church, not only in America, but all over the world, pastors had been preaching to their congregations, here is how you get saved. And and they had been um, giving altar calls. And what's an altar call? It is where you point out what the Bible says about sin. You point out what the Bible says about the the punishment of God on sin, and and then you show people uh, the blessings of God, eternal life, and living forever in heaven for those that are saved, and. And then you address the congregation. And there's people that are coming for the first time or friends of members and they're there. And you say, now this is the choice that God has placed before you. You're a sinner. You're, you're under his wrath, but you could be saved if you decide for Jesus today. Make a decision for Christ. Come down the aisle and you'll be a child of God. You can be saved. And and they'll go to verses like in Acts with the Philippian jailer or in Romans. Believe and you'll be saved. And 
yes, just two, maybe three, maybe even one come down the aisle in that church, but multiply that by thousands of churches across one country, the U.S., and then tens of thousands more across the nations of the world, and Sunday after Sunday, you had streams of enormous numbers of people coming into the congregations based on their own work, their own faith. And they were told and assured and and repeatedly assured by pastors, by bishops and by popes and by everyone else who seemed to have any kind of authority within the church structure, this is what saves you. You have done well. You've done right. You're a child of God. And now comes the time of the end, the end of the days. And God did wink at many, many things the world was doing and even the church was doing. God saw their errors. He It, it grieved him. Yet the Lord determined to give space for repentance to the church. And yet they did not repent, so he comes at the end of the days. And one of the first things that the Lord does is to clarify and make straight how he saves, how a person becomes born again. Another verse that um, came into um, the light of day was in John chapter 1. In John 1, where uh, God is speaking of how people become born again, he explains in verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. That's how people are not born again. That's how no one has ever become saved. By their will, by their own will, by their willful action, which means through their belief. Not one person ever in the history of the world has ever become saved by accepting Christ, by exercising their will through making a choice or a decision for Christ from walking down an aisle or from saying a sinner's prayer or from deciding to be baptized or by making some kind of willful choice to partake of the Lord's table, in none of it, or all of it combined, has any individual, any sinner in this world ever been saved. According to the word of God, we are born not of the will of the flesh and not of the will of man. Well, how are we saved? The last part of John 1.13 explains, But we are born of God. We are born again. We become a new creature. We receive a new resurrected soul of God by the action and will of God. As God tells us in Romans chapter 9, um, he spends a little time there explaining in Romans 9:15 for he saith 
to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will. Notice the word will. I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. Again, how much more does the church need? How much more does man need to come forth from the mouth of God in order to understand that you cannot be saved by your own will? So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Just like John 1.13, but of God, but of God that showeth mercy by the faith of Christ, by his work from the foundation of the world when there were no men, when the sins of the predestinated elect were laid upon him, and then he suffered and died for their sins from the foundation of the world, and then rose from the dead, declared to be the Son of God with power, and at that point he creates the world, having already finished all the work, according to Hebrews 4, verse 3. The works are finished from the foundation of the world. And that's the work that saves. The the work is the evidence of his faith. The faith of Christ that saved. As Jesus did the work through faith in saving his people. This is what God has made clear at the time of the end of the world. And so we read in 1 John. Again, in 1 John 3, verse 12, concerning our study of the book of Genesis and Cain and Abel, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's... uh, I'm going to insert the word work, because that's what's implied... His brother's works righteous. Now, let's take a second and think about this. What works of Cain were evil? The work of thinking that that God commanded him to do something. And, And again, from all we can gather, God made it known to these two brothers that he required an offering. And... And so, out of a desire to please, a desire to obey, Cain brings forth an offering. And there's nothing wrong with the offering itself. It was out from the fruit of the ground, and, and that's fine. It's a, that would be an acceptable offering. But Cain, um, is acting in response to what he believes God is requiring and therefore a commandment and and his error and what makes what he did evil and ultimately what corrupted the sacrifice he presented and caused God not to accept it was he was trusting in the work, in the act, 
in in uh, God said um this is what I want Cain went about to do it and uh, you know we're, we have this picture or image of Cain as some terrible evil man ruthless killer a murderer the first murderer that's how he's known and yet he uh was of the family of God as Adam was a son of God and he was a son of Adam and 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 he therefore had relationship of some sort with God and in all probability he was going about zealously like the Israelites went about zealously to keep the law Cain was probably uh, full of uh, excitement eager to please God eager to perform the work that he thought God required of him and and so he he gathered together his offering he presented it and and we could see like um someone uh, eager to please another he presented his offering and it was refused it it was not respected god was not pleased and and probably cain couldn't understand why he couldn't understand why why is my offering not accepted. It, he probably looked at everything. The offering it, it, it is, there's nothing wrong with that. God required an offering. I gave an offering, an acceptable offering of itself. What is wrong with what I did? And then there was his brother Abel, who God also required an offering from. He gave a different type of offering, but still within the spectrum of offerings that that was acceptable as well and maybe Abel didn't put as much thought or effort into his offering maybe Abel um let it go and, until the last minute and then uh he he saw Cain and Cain was working hard and and doing everything he could to to make his offering and and Cain's probably looking at his brother. Well, uh, my brother's offering's not going to be accepted. Look at him. He, he doesn't even seem to care. He's not even involved all that much with his offering. And and then, right before the offering, perhaps Abel goes out, slays one of his flock, and and takes it, the firstling, for an offering. And, and Cain's thinking, I did much more work. I put in uh, a great deal more effort. My offering is a better offering. God will be pleased with my offering more than Abel's because Abel didn't hardly do anything. It, it just, just think of the attitude of the elder son in Luke 15 when again there were two brothers and and one wasted his um inheritance with riotous living and the other brother the the elder he he never went anywhere he stayed with his father and and then when the son returned the father gave the younger son a kid and made merry and and the the elder brother was jealous envious at his younger and and mad, he was angry. And he says in Luke 15, 
Well, let's read from verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he, answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. You know, when we look at it from the world's perspective, it's justifiable anger, isn't it? Here, uh, uh, who, who could deny this elder son has a point? He's been there working, working hard, and never transgressed his father's commandment. He kept his father's commandment. He did the works, and yet he doesn't have the kids slain for him. Well, well, we'll have to pick this up in our next study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.